Welcome into the latest episode of the Think Deeper podcast. We're happy you're with us. Before we get started, I want to tell you guys a little bit uh, more about where to find us, more about um, helping us get the word out about our show. We've just created a Facebook page, so you can find us there. Search Think Deeper podcast, look for our logo, or if, if you're on your computer, facebook.com slash thinkdeeperpod, thinkdeeperpod. Um, like that, help us, uh, get the word out once again by sharing our posts or, or commenting there. That's a really good way for you to interact. If you've got questions, if you've got feedback on an episode, uh, please feel free to reach out to us there. Um, we, we appreciate those that have been reaching out by email, those that have, have joined the book giveaway, but, uh, we really want to connect with you guys a little bit more and, and we think that'll provide us an opportunity to do that, um. Again, beyond the the podcast apps, you can find us on Spotify, YouTube as well. We're posting uh, posting short one to five minute clips. Uh, they're a little more shareable than the, than the entire episodes, and so plus we 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 figured out we figured you guys would want to see our faces, so that's why we well of course <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna say that, but sure you guys. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, Joe, Will, we'll bring you guys in. How are you guys doing this week? Doing great. All right. So this week, we, as, as I said, we want more audience interaction. We're going with one that was an audience suggestion. And so it's a very hot topic. It's one that needs to be addressed from a Christian standpoint, and that is the matter of mental health. Um, it's, it's just one that is, is constantly in the headlines. I know you guys, everyone has their opinions on it. Um, we want to look at it from a biblical point of view, but we also have a licensed therapist uh, on on the podcast as well. Joe Wilkie works in that field, and so uh, he's going to lend some expertise to it. As uh, as we joke, I always like allegedly, to pretend, and I'm an expert, so we've got a, <laughs> yeah. a real expert, a pretend expert, and and uh, Will uh, along for the ride. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be the mediator today. Yeah, that's I'll, right. I'll just, I'll just uh, mediate. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so Will and I have questions we're going to ask of Joe through this episode. That's going to be kind of our our framework. So I'm going to hand it over to Will to get us started. So as you consider mental health, obviously, as Jack said, it's kind of become a buzzword, a buzz phrase, if you will. It's been something that has gotten a lot of media um, attention. It seems to all be kind of going one direction in, in the realm of, of of taking care of your mental health. And it's a very positive thing. So we, we want to start with the question. And of course, we're going to we're going to let Joe take the lead on this question here in just a second. But the question, what is mental health? Because you think about the fact that there are different connotations of it. You know, for instance, the connotation, and I'm not saying this is correct. This is just what, what comes to mind for me, you know, whenever I hear, you know, an, an emphasis on mental health is the world's connotation of it, which again, to me kind of leans more into the idea of, of milking it, the idea of, you know, you know, I need to take an hour bath five days out of the week with lavender and, and chocolates, you know, and, and that's for my mental health. And I, and I just have to do it or, well, you know, to make sure that that I'm mentally healthy, I need to take a day off of work, you know, every two weeks, you know, that that type of thing. And I know that's not what we're talking about necessarily, but I know that, you know, to some extent, at least that's the connotations that are associated with. It. And so we want to talk about what is mental health. And so once again, uh, with an expert, if you will, on the show with us, Mr. Joe, Supposedly. I'm going to kick that to you. How do you define mental health and for, for our listeners here? Sure. That's a it's a great question. It's also kind of a difficult question because everybody defines it a little bit differently. Um, if you look it up online, it'll just talk about a person's, um, it, it kind of defines itself. Well, it's, it's a person's 
psychological health, like what that's called mental health. Yeah. So what is mental health uh, kind of goes in circles there. I think there's an aspect of it being the whole person. I deal with um, what I call an intimacy pyramid, but just the idea of your intellectual and emo- um, rather physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual and how you do there. But I was teaching on this at, uh, at church a few weeks back and um, had a little old lady uh, at church, love her to death. And she, I, I asked, what is mental health? Seeing what they had to say. And she came up with a fascinating answer. She said, the acceptance of reality. And that just blew my mind. Um, and, and I ended up taking that as the rest of the class and kind of expounding on that because it's really deep. And I think mental health really is the acceptance of reality. And, and I correlate it with, or I would say alongside that needs to be self-awareness and self-awareness is understanding how far from reality you actually are. Now we know the Bible is the ultimate truth. Um, and, and we're trying to get as close to the truth as possible. Right. But just in terms of, of reality, what is real? What is those who are struggling on the far ends with, with serious mental health disorders and schizophrenia and such, they don't often know how far they are from reality. And so I would say they have a low mental health. It's the self-awareness plus the acceptance of reality, what that is. Mm. So that's kind of how I would, uh, I don't think I've ever heard that definition before. That's interesting. I hadn't either, to be honest. Uh, I, I just loved it. I fell in love with it. I thought, man, I'll steal that one from uh, Miss Meyer. She's, she's fantastic. But, um, I, I have always equated it more with the self-awareness and self-esteem. Mental health is, is such a big part of, on, of an individual's, um, health. And that's why the self comes into it so much and why we do so much work on the self and the inner child and so much else. Jack, what do you what do you have to add as far as just kind of the different connotations with it? Maybe your personal um, reaction whenever you hear an emphasis on mental health, because again, mine's very different from from the definition that Joe just gave. Yeah, I think what you got at will is is we kind of need to see the two extremes that we kind of sure. maybe in the past have had a view toward it of suck it up, get over it. Your your problems are your own on your own time, and and now we've got this other extreme, which is basically anytime you feel bad anytime you're having a hard time getting out of bed because you're just the challenges of the day or their stress and anxiety and just disappear just pull back from society just take your time and and the, i i think what we're looking at here and i think the biblical thing that's going to we're going to get to in all this is somewhere in between the two um telling people just suck it up, get over it, is not helpful. Uh, there are things that are, are really difficult. We need to, uh, this is part of bearing one another's burdens, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We've got scriptures about this, of of sharing the problems we work through. And and so I think that's important. I think the other side of it has, has certainly gone too far. And so with that, I think it's important to talk about what we want to get to in this episode. I mean, because mental health is a very broad term, as has been said, what most people are dealing with, and I think more of what we're getting at in this is is depression, anxiety, stress. Mm. You know, there, there. I mean, there are some some serious disorders that maybe are are beyond the scope of what we're going to talk about here. But something that I think hopefully we're helping the listener here is lots and lots of people. I mean, lots of people. The statistically, just how many people are dealing with one of those depression, stress, anxiety, one of those more common issues is when it's you important. Think, Go ahead. You think about how much COVID has contributed to these oh, things absolutely. too. Absolutely. Big time. 
yeah. which time. is the reason that it's become such a talking point, right. I would say. Yeah, it's, it's going to get bigger all the time. It just continues to. And so we need to talk to that and, and again, chart the difference between you. It's, it's kind of a blanket excuse for backing out of, of all engagement and responsibility. And, right. it, you know, nobody's going to help you with this. Get Get over it. The interesting thing is how our society has chosen to handle mental health in on the one hand, I love that it is, is kind of in the public consciousness. It's, we're more aware of it than ever. And I think that's fantastic, obviously from a, a, you know, business standpoint for myself, I think that it helps that more people are aware of their mental health. But as you guys are referencing and talking about this pulling away from society or, or kind of even coddling or, or acting like, well, I need to just really focus on my mental health. Most of the time in the ways that we do that actually contribute to our mental health issues, pulling away from people, the isolation, isolating, that's a a big part. And we'll get into this more later, but you know, some, some things to avoid and some things that'll help, but it, it is very interesting that as we are, I think this is, is an interesting point in time where we're starting to understand the importance of mental health, but we're also we don't fully know how to do it. And so we're in a learning period right now where we're overcompensating. We've swung the pendulum from the just get over it. We know that's terrible, but Jack's right. It's on two different ends We're, we're we've swung it to the other side of like, we'll do whatever you want, right? Whatever in the name of mental health. And we've got to start in as a society, as a culture as a whole, swing that um, back toward the middle. Well, and this is another you know issue that I take with it, and I, Joe, I guess I can be teeing you up for for a response here, but it's just the the glorification of it as well. Mm-hmm. And I'll give a brief example, and this is a very public example. I get it, but you, you think about the Olympics last year in Tokyo. You know, hopefully our audience is familiar with the name Simone Biles. You know, widely recognized as the greatest gymnast in the world, and she is phenomenal. She's fantastic. Sure. But last year in the Olympics, she dropped out of her team. And she cited mental health as, as the issues, you know, said she wasn't in the right space or whatever it is. And if you observe, if you have, if you're plugged in at all to the media, the sports media, she was absolutely worshipped for that decision to back out. She was put on an even higher pedestal. You know, you would have thought she would have just won the gold medal the way that the media covered it. And, you know, how brave she was for for citing mental health as the reason and again, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, sitting here trying to cast aspersions on her, but I, my brain was going, why are we celebrating, to put it bluntly, failure just because the, the buzzwords or the buzz phrase mental health was thrown out there? And so, again, I think that's that's part of the issue that I take with it as well is just the way that we kind of glory or glorify, you know, that how brave that person is, is taking a stand for, for mental health. And, and that's kind of the connotation that I see associated with it. My issue with the entire Simone Biles situation is as exactly as you mentioned, Will, the celebration of it. Uh, and what reason does she have to come out of her mental health when she's celebrated for taking care of her mental health? Like it kind of, it gives her a pass. And that sounds very callous. I realize coming from a therapist, but it goes back to my point of how culture has, how, how we have come to help people in their mental health. If we glorify it when they have mental health struggles, and say, well, good for you that you're taking care of it. Um, it's kind of like if if there's a TV show, um, Parks and Recreation, there's an episode on there where uh, one of the characters breaks his leg and a couple episodes later, he's still on the cast. And come to find out, he was like weeks past when he could have taken his cast off, but because he was getting everything done for him and sandwiches made for him, brought to him and, and kind of the lack of responsibility, on, yeah. he left it on. So they find out at the doctor that he left it on. It's like, 
are you kidding? You could have had this off, you know, weeks ago. And, you know, it's kind of a laughing point, but I think we kind of do the same with society where, yeah, it's, it's okay to have a cast on you broke your leg. It's that's okay. Um, but if we glorify it too much, or if we allow for too much, then we get to a point where nobody wants to get out of, of their mental health condition. So as far as it goes to Simone Biles, I can't imagine the pressure of the Olympics. Uh, like you said, probably greatest gymnast of all time. I mean, like I'm, we're not disparaging her in any way other than how the media really using it as an example. Yes, exactly. How the media handled it, which speaks to the culture, I think more broadly. And I know the media and culture are different, but still um, getting praise for those things is uh, to me, it's just a dangerous path is is what I would say. Okay. So uh, I'll get us on to our next question then, since we've kind of defined mental health and, and the terms around where, which we're using. One of the issues I see is diagnosis and the words around it as as we become more educated as a society we we get tied to these words and we almost get defined by them um the the labels that you have whether i have depression i have anxiety i have you know i'm narcissistic i'm borderline i'm i mean there's just all um bipolar there's any term that you want to put in there and how those kind of become destiny diagnosis becomes destiny right yeah. uh and so people can say well i'm at this and then i do this or or even on a lesser scale the myers-briggs the the what's the number one enneagram yeah i'm at this therefore you shouldn't be surprised when i don't call you back you shouldn't be surprised when i'm a little bit over because the i'm an introvert yeah that's right. just yeah. What, that's just what fours do four right. wings set and yeah you're never yeah. gonna hear from me exactly you know or or the others I'm, I'm a little pushy but that's because i'm a five like and then the other thing is diagnosing other people that's a toxic yeah. person that's an abusive person therefore i can treat them however i want um i see these things happen as we become more educated on it and so Let's, uh, I want your view on number one, like clinical diagnosis, there's the DSM <laughs> and number two, more of the pop psychology, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, all those other tests that you can do, INTJ, whatever the letters are. Only, only if you have an opinion on it, Joe. You know, <laughs> oh man, I was going to say, this is a softball <laughs> yeah, down the middle, man. Six is going out. I, yeah, exactly. Um, I, I really can't stand the labels. I have so many clients come to me. Well, I took the MBTI and it's, and I'm, I'm an INTJ or whatever. And that just explains so much about my, you know, my, where I'm at. Well, how, how so, how does that explain? Well, there's just a lot of people out there. Okay. It's okay to know there's a lot of people out there like you, but why do, that doesn't help you understand yourself anymore. You know, your childhood trauma is creating who you are. Do you want out of it or do you not? Do you want to just be defined by it? So people use that all the time to speak to the DSM side of it. I'll try to keep my thoughts brief because, man, I could go on for this for a long time. And for those that don't know, what is the DSM? Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is where you get, um, you know, all sorts of, like Jack said, major depressive, bipolar, all personality disorders, things like that. It's the Um, professional, right? Yes, the the professional level. It is a very thick book, purple. I got it behind me on my shelf. Um, And yet I don't ever use it. I had to use it when I was working with Medicaid. And I used a specific code F4320. I must have written that 10,000 times on client forms and it's adjustment disorder unspecified. And the reason why I did that is because first off, everybody, you can, you can almost work anything under adjustment disorder. But the reason I did it is because it falls off in six months. The DSM, what people have to realize and understand is if you go and are diagnosed with the DSM, that's on your record. Most of those are on your record for life. Now, I think after six months, you can 
you can request to have it expunged from your record. Most people don't know that. And most people don't do that because it's, it's a difficult thing to go to your doctor and have it expunged from your record. So it's almost so, like your medical history. Like if, if they pulled up, you had heart troubles, you are, you've had PTSD, you yeah. are bipolar. Exactly. And so it's a very scary thing. I don't diagnose people in my private practice because first off, I don't have to for medical purposes. Second off, I find that a lot of people are just looking for the simple, cheap answer. Like I hate to say it, but they're just looking to have had a client the other day come in. Well, I think I'm um, borderline personality disorder, BPD. So, well, that's interesting. So we look, you know, I, I just pulled out the DSM. I said, well, let's go down the list. And I said, yeah, you, you show some of these things, but I said, the interesting thing is not all the time. And here's why I think you do. And we just discussed her past. We discussed why we think she is. And it's like, well, yeah. So I said, well, what do you think would happen if we worked through some of that? Some of the, the trauma that you've been through. Well, I'd probably clear up a lot of that stuff. I said, okay, so do you have borderline personality? Do you want to, you're willing to define yourself for life if I were to diagnose you with this, when in reality, a few weeks of hard work, we would work through this. So people want to be in boxes. We find that more and more that, Look at all these BuzzFeed quizzes and everything else. But, you know, I'm in Gryffindor. We, we just like being in boxes. We like taking the quizzes and understanding who are our people. And there's a camaraderie around it for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm not alone. And I exactly. Think when you read I'm not these alone. Diagnoses, there's power. Like, oh, I have this struggle. And wow. But I, I just had my own, my own cross to bear in this and realized that it's a very common thing. And so I think there's power in that. But then there's that other side of it. I get defined by it. And it almost becomes an excuse. And that was the point of psychiatrists and, and therapists working on the DSM in the first place is for them to see across the, you, you know, this client goes to, to so-and-so therapist and then the next therapist and then comes to me on the third. And I know that they have this history. I know a little bit of how to handle them because Perfect. I've handled other people who have uh, not to keep going back like borderline or whatever, but you know, there's a bazillion in there, but I have another one who struggles with that. So now I have a baseline for how to handle it. I don't even agree with that. Because every person is different. I'm very client-centered in that I'll use multiple different modalities, treatment modalities to fix an issue for, you know, Jane Doe when John Doe has a completely different, or, you know, John, whatever, has a completely, uh, the same thing, but a completely different reason for why he has it. So I'm very wary of putting ourselves in boxes, even on the, the base level of like an Enneagram or an MBTI, because people use it as a crutch. It's the same way they use mental health as a crutch. Well, and what's so interesting about that too, is how we live in such an individualized society, you know, pushing the individual and what the individual wants. And yet we still find these people that love to find out that they're, you know, an ESFJ or, or a, you know, seven wing two, what I don't even, I don't think I've even taken (laughs) the Enneagram. So I don't even know what that is. Um, But it is very interesting. Um, And so as you think about that, Joe, you're obviously not a huge fan of that. Um, I want to take it to the, to something else. And, and that I, again, kind of have an issue with, and I guess more so not an issue, but more so of a question coming from somebody who studied it a whole lot more uh, than I have. And, and somebody who is obviously steeped in the field. It's the idea of, of self-care as opposed to self-love. Um, and obviously, you know, there's a difference, you know, with, with between self-interest versus selfishness. And we can get into all that, but again, kind of the, the point that I referenced to start the idea that, well, I just, I, I have to take an hour bath five days a week, you know, with, with a bath bomb and, and, you know, a, a glass of uh, whatever sparkling grape juice, whatever it is that, that people enjoy, <laughs> but it's this idea of, of self-care, this idea of, I have to do these things to take care of myself. 
and you know, again, self-love it's self, self, self is the issue that I have with it. And I'm not saying you, you know, never are allowed to do any of those things, but I see a whole lot more in God's word about loving God and loving our brethren than I do about loving ourselves. And again, I know this self-love and self-care is a pretty uh, hot topic in the realm of mental health. And so I wanted to get your take on it because the way, again, the way I see it from God's word, we see a whole lot more about loving God and loving each other more so than we do about loving ourselves. Kind of the, the dichotomy of love your neighbor as yourself, and then men will be lovers of self. So kind of the kind of the the balance goes on there. How would you respond to that? What's your take on that particular dichotomy? Man, good question. Um, so self, what I would define self care as in this culture, again, it's been very skewed. We we've taken it to ridiculous lengths of you know I'll just go shopping and spend five hundred dollars, and that's my right. self care. I'll um, go get myself three milkshakes, and that's my self care. Self care, that's that's horrible um because it's kind of enabling the issue self-care is just getting what you need right it's just meeting your needs so if you need a bath to unwind at the end of the day you know i i i draw the line at uh, I, I don't necessarily have an issue with that i draw the line at, it's the same thing like with, with a cup of coffee i just can't speak to people to have a cup of coffee well how about you be a decent human being and talk to somebody you know there are people like that like yeah, okay, yeah. Don't, don't. and and they're just not the same if they don't get their self-care routine it's not always that simple but we know Jesus had self-care, right? Sure. He, he couldn't just heal 24 seven. I mean, he could, but he didn't, he chose to get away. He chose to, to go in a boat with his disciples, with just his 12 closest and, and get some sleep, right? Even when the storm comes Well, okay. or so to go away on a mountain. Those like basic self-care things like Jesus did rest, uh, rest time yeah. with God. Uh, I mean, you can, you can boil this all the way down to like eating, sleeping, um, yes, getting fresh air and, and a little bit of exercise, you know, things those like are that. needs. Yes, right, right. correct. Correct. So uh, that's a great point. And thanks for that thought, because it is those are you have to think about what your needs are. Um, I get into this with clients for for porn addiction. I specialize in sex addiction. And I often say, like, when you are desiring it, meet the need there. Your body's telling you you need something. It's not pornography. It's not sex. It's not whatever. But you do need something. Um, whether that be a stress reducer, whether that be to get around somebody and some connection with somebody, uh, that's a big one sometimes. So there's self-care is getting what you need, not getting what you want. Uh, and those two things, sometimes what you want is what you need and, and vice versa, but, um, that's the main thing. So for those that are listening, uh, just recognize what your needs are. Sometimes that's the hardest thing is what do I actually need? I feel like I need to go shopping or I feel like I need pornography or I feel like I need these other things. Um, but understand what your need is. As far as the self-love goes, I'll try to keep this short. Um, I don't, a, a solid understanding of self and a solid understanding of others comes from understanding God's love for you at the center. And I think the second in these identity rings, as I call them, is your relationship with yourself. And there has to be a certain level of self-love, not in a narcissistic, selfish way, but in a, I don't hate my, I, I, there's a lot of self-loathing and self-loathing gets into all sorts of different issues of people pleasing. So as to try to get people to love you because you love, you hate yourself, but if you can get other people to love you, it informs your understanding, or it's a lack of understanding God's love for you. There's a lot of shame in that. So if we can get people to love themselves and understand that, again, in an appropriate way, understand that that emanates from God loving you. 
you have value and worth because God gives you value and worth, not because what you do, not because of your job, not because of who you're married to or whatever else you have value that nobody can take from you. Within that is this idea of loving yourself very much Ephesians five, you know, husbands love your wives as you love yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. It assumes that you don't have, you don't hate yourself. There's no self-loathing because then you get into all sorts of issues. And the only reason you give them or treat them well is ultimately for yourself. It's selfish. You come back to, I need them to like me. Well, is that not more selfish than saying, I already like me. I don't need you to like me. I'm going to treat you well because I like you. Sure. Right. So it gets a little skewed on what is on the, what is selfish and what's not self stuff. Isn't bad. That's, I think it's the, that's at the core. Uh, well, really God and, and myself is at the core and my relationship with self will affect every other relationship in my life. And if you don't consider yourself, that's a problem uh, in my opinion. So I don't know how you guys feel about that. I would define it kind of as inward facing and outward facing our natural state is inward facing. And as a child, you see that, uh, you know, like sure. there, there is kind of that selfishness, my needs, what I want uh, growing and, and healthy, like you're saying is, is loving other people for themselves, not for ourselves. Right. And so, right. um, when he says love others or love your neighbor as yourself, you have that natural inward facing thing of, I, I want to take care of me. I want what I want. Having that attitude toward other people of, I'm going to treat them that way. I'm going to think, I'm going to put myself in their shoes, uh, you know, as the saying goes. And, and, and if I were them, what would I want? Okay. Then that's what What's I'm going to do. What's the golden rule, right? Yeah, do unto others. Rule rule is, is, yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, yeah, the, the golden rule is the practical arm of love your neighbor as yourself. And, and so it is inward but facing, it, outward facing. And if we're always inward facing and, and oddly enough, people pleasing is a weird way of inward facing because it's making everybody else a mirror for ourselves. Right. Right. Um, and, and so getting, developing an outward facing Christianity and lifestyle and, and, and view of others, it, it comes from knowing I don't have to look within at all times. And, and the, how you get past that looking within is truly meeting your needs. That is self-care that is getting to the bottom of it. This is why in trauma work, we do so much reparenting, which is the idea of you, you insert your older self into an, uh, you know, your, your present self, whether you're in your thirties, whatever else back into a memory of when you're a kid and you sit there with yourself, with your, with your child self, it's inner child work. Right. And you give them what they didn't have in that moment. So they felt abandoned by a parent, whatever it may be. You go hug them, you go talk to them, you give them what they need in that moment. And when people's needs are met on that base level, they're so much happier for it and they're able to love others on a different level. So the reason that people are super selfish is, is even the narcissist, I think is they have a, an underlying need that is never met. Sure. And once that need is met, they're good to go. Right there. They start moving toward that acceptance of reality. They start understanding their mental health and, and recognizing, man, I may be miles away from it, but I'm moving in that positive direction. Uh, so Getting your needs met is very, very important. Once again, the, where I come in is just helping people understand what their actual needs are. But once you do that, God meets all our needs. He meets all our needs for esteem if we let him. This is the point of identity in Christ, which is, you know, there's, there's different ideas around it. That's maybe for a different podcast. But you, once we recognize that God gives us exactly what we need and have those met in him, I don't need other people right. to meet those needs for me. I'm good to treat them as I'm supposed to treat them. Right. Okay, so well, and, oh, go, go ahead. ahead, Jack. Go ahead. I, I was going to say identity. The next point. So you go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say identity is, is again, 
such a buzzword, you know, we can find identity in so many things, being an American, our job, our sports teams, whatever. Sure. Um, and while the, the phrase identity in Christ, again, we don't really see that in scripture. I think the point behind it is that you recognize God values you. That gives you worth that, right. that gives you worth beyond your job, you know, beyond your, even your spouse or your family. It starts with understanding the way God views you. So I, when we talk about identity in Christ, that's kind of what we're referring to. Yes. Having him. And I always talk about, again, the identity rings, having him at the core yeah. of who you are now, who you're married to matters, who, who your family is. Of course that matters, you know, matters to God should matter to you, your job. That's okay to have a part of your, that is part of what makes you, you, your hobbies, the things that you're good at, but it starts um, with God, right? But it starts right. with God. And where we see issues is when people move the outer rings, like maybe a job or hobbies, closer to the inner rings. This is the issue like with transgenderism, for instance, is they've moved their gender, their, their sexuality to the core, to the center of who they are. Sexuality is part of your identity. It is one of the rings, but you're taking an outer ring and moving it to the inside. And that creates mental health issues of itself. When we have, even those who are, you know, atheists, their mental health can only go so far because they don't have God at the center. God is, is the one constant in life. He's never changing, right? What people think of you changes. Your job might change. Your identity and your spouse, if, you know, God forbid anything happened there, that might change. Identity and anything else is very much in flux. It can sure. change on a dime. Your identity in God, with him being at the core, him giving you value, that will never change. And it can never be manipulated, taken away, uh, any of those things. And that's why we push so much to have him at the core. That doesn't mean that everything now, nothing else matters in life. Job doesn't matter. Family doesn't matter. God is the only thing that matters in a roundabout way. Of course, God obviously is, is on a list of his own. Like he is what matters at the same time. He clearly wants you to take care of those things. He clearly thinks that those matter in your life. It's just, he has to be from which everything else emanates. All right. So give us a, a 30 second wrap on self-care, self-love. What's good. What's bad real quick. Okay. Self-care is getting your needs met. Understand what your needs are, actively pursue those, whether that be sleep, whether that be connection, being around people. Um, Self-love is best done when you also understand what your needs are, specifically coming from attachment and other issues and recognizing that you have value, that your sin doesn't separate you so much and make you so shame-filled that you are worthless. Um, You have to have a love of self, not in a selfish, narcissistic way saying I'm great, but in a way of saying I'm worthy of love not because I say it or anybody else, but because God says it um, and accepting that reality, accepting that that is actually the case and that at our worst, God still thought we were worthy of love um, unbelievably because I don't think we are, but he clearly gives us that. Um, and and the self-help ideas, get yourself some help, understand those needs, look to meet those needs with self-care, not just what you want, but what you need. So a quick illustration. I know we're getting off at this point. I always think of it like the on an airplane when they tell you if you're traveling with a small child and the oxygen mask drop down, put your own on first so that you will Perfect. be able to help yeah. somebody else. Self-care, get yourself the oxygen and then turn and help somebody else get their oxygen on. Not get right. yours on and tell the kid, well, sorry, you got to do your own, but I need my oxygen. <laughs> um, right. So that's the, the point of all of this is getting yourself better to help others, not getting yourself better to keep keep going for me, 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 me. Um, right. Because that'll only end up in, in further mental health issues. Right. If you right. isolate just, yourself or yeah. hold yourself above. Yeah. yeah. It just compounds the the problem. OK, so finally, because uh, we got into people pleasing, we were, that was the next thing on our list. Let's finish up with talking about 
what somebody can do. I know statistically, I'm certain we have somebody listening, multiple people listening, who struggle with depression, struggle with anxiety, stress, some of these these things we've talked about, um, balancing selfishness versus people-pleasing and, and all of these other things. Um, what what are some practical things to get to to wrap this all up of of ways somebody can can do better especially as christians i think you know as christians the answers that we have to this you kind of hinted at a minute ago should be better than what the world has so let's get into right. some of the practicals i'll so, start cuz i was going to say i'm going to let you guys start and see what you have to say on it cuz i may i may disagree but i doubt it but i'd love, sure. like to know what you guys sure. think one of the things that i'll bring up um you know my job you know youth evangelist i work with young people um, quite a bit. I'm around young people a little bit more often. And one of the things that I see, um, and this goes for all ages, not just young people, but one of the things that I see that can largely contribute to having a, uh, we'll call it uh, lack of mental health is excessive social media use. Um, and I don't, I don't intend to get into a diatribe about social media. That's another podcast episode. Um, and I'm also not somebody who believes that, you know, all social media is bad and we tend to blame every single problem in our society on social media. I'm not sure. one of those people. However, I see young people who spend two, three hours a day on social media. And what you get is the constant comparisons. Look how, look how good that person looks. Look how great their life is. You even see it with, with again, not just young people, with older people. Look how, look how beautiful their home is. Look how perfect their family seems. And we get into this constant mindset of comparing ourselves to somebody else. You get, look at that person. They get to go on vacation. They get to go to the beach three weeks, you know, every three weeks. And talk about contributing to a lack of mental health uh, is this, this world that, again, I'll, I'll single in on young people who constantly are comparing themselves to other people. And one of the things that I'll say, again, I'm not saying all social media is bad, but it, it, to me, I see a correlation with the more you are on social media, the less mentally healthy that you are, the, the more struggles that you have with mental health, the more that that contribute being on Facebook, being on Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, the more that that can contribute to a lack of mental health. And so for practical advice, again, I'm by no means an expert or anything like that, but I would, I would encourage you if you're somebody who's listening, who's struggling with those things, take a, take a deep dive on your social media. You self-evaluate. How much are you spending? How much time are you spending on social media? How much time are you scrolling, looking and, and, and just comparing yourself to other people? Or maybe even again, just wasting three hours of your day. Cause all you're doing is scrolling, you know, take it, take a self-evaluation of that. That's the one piece of advice that I would give again, especially if we have young people who are listening because they are, they are the major users of social media. That's a great point. Jack, um, I'd like to know your point, but I'm going to come back to, I, I like that well, so I'll come, I'll circle back around. But Jack, what okay. Do you think? okay, so I'm going to steal some stuff from you, Joe, actually. Um, you've been talking about on our sermon sum-ups, you've been preaching on created for and kind of the, the creation design of Adam and Eve and, and what God gave them and, and started them off with. I think that's so important for Christians to understand that we were designed for certain things, and if we're not doing those certain things, we're not going to be happy. And so much of what you see in society is rejection of those things. We're mm. rejecting the gender roles. We're rejecting a gender at all. We're rejecting law. We're rejecting uh, work, really. Uh, yeah, work. All of, yeah, all of this is looked at as bad things, which, you know, leave it to Satan, who's working in the world to try and turn us against God. God gave us those things. And if we're not doing those things, if we're not exercising the things God put us here for, 
we're going to be depressed and, and we're going to be anxious and stressed and, and, and we're not going to run right because God gave us these things for our good. God gave us work for our good, not to be workaholics, not to be a people pleaser, but to go out and accomplish and enjoy and, and build, make something, you know, put the, the skills and the strength that we have to use. He gave us relationships, you know, uh, starting with the spouse relationship, but just uh, building up from there, other humans and children and, and parents and grandparents and friends and church family, the, the, the people that he surrounded us with. And and we mentioned earlier, COVID really messed with people's mental health, and I struggled with it myself. It isolated us from people. It kept us from working and building in some of the ways that we normally do. It, it, it just took purpose away from us. And so I liken it to where, you know, if if... Your, your weight is out of control, your blood pressure is out of control, your heart's not doing well because of years of bad eating and sitting at a desk and not exercising, not getting fresh air, all of the, the things that we know we should do, and you go into the doctor and they give you a pill. Well, maybe that pill is a short-term Band-Aid, but the first thing you need to address is what got you here. And sometimes, looking at my own life, the depression, the anxiety, there's certainly things in my past that I can look back on and say, that was bad, that hurt, that, that is having an effect on me. But on the other hand, when I have purpose, when I have relationship and connection with other people, when I have a walk with God, when I am, am observing the, the commandments he set down, I'm just happier. I, I, I've got a reason to get up out of bed in the morning. I've got a reason to live. There, there's a joy to that. And I, I think so much of modern society is keeping us from realizing the goodness of those things and pursuing mm. them. I've been thinking about that. I just read an article um, called The Age of Anti-Ambition, hmm. New York Times article of how everybody's quitting work and, and kind of the depression and the loneliness and, and from being away from work and the identity that people place in work. So specifically taking it from a work point of view, but it really tied in a lot of those things. And it's just fascinating, like the way our culture now views exactly as you just said, everything that God created us for is being distorted and, and viewed as a negative. And one of the best things we can do is just get back to what God wanted us to do, have purpose right in our work and, and connection with others and intimacy. Well, to circle back around to your point, um, social media is bad for a number of reasons. Uh, I'm with you. I'm on social media a little bit. I don't think it's, we have to get off immediately. If you have a teenager on there specifically under 16, I would implore, implore you. Um, don't let that happen. Their yeah. kids aren't ready. Just from a brain point of view, we know that we're developing, our brains are developing till 25. Some people think it's even later than that. Um, but at least until 25, we're not able to handle these things. It, it destroys, as you mentioned, the self-esteem of that constant comparison. There's a great Jordan Peterson quote I was thinking as you were talking about it. He says, um, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And that gets into this idea of us taking responsibility for our lives, us recognizing that okay, I can't change what that other person's doing, or, or I don't even know how they got there necessarily, but I know what I was yesterday. Am I better than I was yesterday? Is there a path forward? And what that also does is gives us baby steps because we look at somebody who's been working on it for 10 years and we go, man, I wish I were them. Well, you're not them. But if you took one step today that made you better than who you were yesterday, that just helps in so many areas. So just from a self-esteem point of view, from an isolation point of view, it's it's not real. Social media is not real. Uh, so I'm not looking to just beat down on social media, but there's just so many issues with that. Speaking to Jack's point of that connection and such, that's um, not real connection. Those people aren't going to be there. Most of those people aren't going to be there if, if you were taken to the hospital or whatever, needed prayers. Like we can pray through that, but in terms of coming and praying with you and, and being with you, it doesn't really allow for that. So it takes away from the realness. So here's my 
to, to get back on, you know, my advice for those who are struggling with mental health, uh, first off, know that you aren't alone. And that's, there is help in understanding you are not alone. A lot of people are going through this and what that should do is cause us not to just say, okay, good. I'm not alone. Reach out. Chances are somebody struggling with what you're struggling with and whether they have all the answers or not is not really the point. They may be able to just weep with you when you're weeping, rejoice with you when you're rejoicing. One of the biggest ways to get out of depression is connection. I think the opposite of, of depression is, is connection. Um, and really depression and addiction are both caused by isolation and loneliness and feeling a lack of um, worthiness to be around other people. And so get around other people, talk to other people, not just on social media, but in real life, engage in meaningful connections with people, making sure that you're taking care of those, those relationships and don't label people as toxic. Don't, don't push people out of your life unnecessarily. If you need to set boundaries for sure. Um, but take some time to be with those who maybe disagree with you, uh, that challenge you a little bit that work with you in different areas. So get connected. Uh, don't be isolated for as far as anxiety goes. The, I think anxiety is caused very much, uh, by a, a lack of control in your life. So if you're really anxious, chances are you feel there's you know, there's, there's a big test coming up or big something coming up at work, or there's just a lot of things on your plate and you're feeling like, how in the world am I going to get all this done? Control what you can control. It's a basic saying, but I say it to all of my clients, control what you can control. And if you have to sit down and write a list, what can I control currently? And if you feel, well, there's nothing I can control. That's never the case because you can always control how you respond to something. You can always control, um, you know, more or less your actions based on the emotions that you have emotions. You can't always control. I understand those, those come up, but what you choose to do with them is within your control. Uh, you can control whether you make yourself a PB and J or a ham sandwich. It sounds dumb, but sometimes we have to go down to the most basic level and say, I got to control what I wore today. I got to control, um, you know, how, how hot or cold my shower was, you know, okay. just, well, there's a reason Jordan Peterson's clean your room, make up your bed was so revolutionary to people. Yes. You, that is in your control. The smallest thing that's in your control, if you're not taking care of that, and then you're angry about all the, or, or worried about all these giant things that aren't in your control, start small. You know, Jesus said faithful and little faithful and much. One of the issues you see with like a, <clears throat> not to pick on her specifically, but the Greta Thunbergs of the, of the world, um, where we want to change the world, but, and that's the Jordan Peterson point is stop trying to change everybody else. Stop trying to change the world when your own world, you know, your, your bed's not even made. Like that's the point here is if you are out there trying to, to change everybody else or change the world and, and want to take a huge stand, that's great. But if you're not taking care of what you can control, we get way too worked up over things we have no control over. Racism is horrible, but if, if you are allowing the anxiety to, your, to build in your life because America is not getting with it, whatever it may be, however you want to look at it, or, or even global warming or things like that, okay, what can you actually control in that? Right. Well, you can control whether you recycle or whatever else if you believe in that. Um, you can control how you treat one another, how you treat people, uh, you know, African-Americans or whatever it may be. Control that. Control that. Don't try to control the things that you can't because that only leads to anxiety. So sometimes, yes, we have to sit down and make a list about what we have control over in our lives. That's for, for anxiety, for stress. It's just a longer term thing. A lot of these things I'll, I'll say this and be done. Um, if you've been struggling with these things for a long time, there's three different types of depression as I see it. Uh, there is 
what I call historical depression, which is something happened in your past. It's trauma. You're depressed from that. There's circumstantial depression. You're just in a tough spot right now, but you'll come out of it. And there's chemical depression, which you legitimately need um, drugs for that. You know, you need to be on medication. Uh, and, and so understand which one is, is which for you. Most people want to run to the medication. I would say that stuff is highly, highly dangerous. I don't want to get into that and, and badmouth it, but that can have seriously negative side effects. And if you're dealing with circumstantial or historical depression, medication is not really going to solve your issue. It will put a bandaid on it, but that really only solves chemical imbalances, um, those issues. So just be aware of what you need. Again, go back to your needs and get yourself some help. If you've been struggling with anxiety and stress for a long time, get yourself some help. There is no weakness in going to a therapist. I think everybody could use, could benefit from therapy at some point in their lives. And we all need somebody to talk to and, and somebody who can help. And if that means you need to reach out to a therapist, I would say, do it. Uh, just understand what your needs are and seek to meet those in a true self-care way. Joe, do you know any good therapists that, you know, that unfortunately I don't, but, um, <laughs> you know, I'll keep my eyes open. No, uh, if, if you're out of state, obviously I'm licensed in Colorado and work in Tennessee, um, working toward licensure here. And so I'm, I'm legal to do it here. It, try to find a, somebody. I will say this one quick thing. Uh, I would encourage you to find a therapist who's a Christian. I'm not as big a fan of Christian counselors. Now I know a lot of them and love them to death. I, I appreciate what they do, but if you are struggling with trauma issues or things like that, find a therapist who's a Christian. Christian counseling can oftentimes they'll use scripture. The scripture is uh, the Bible is the word of God and it's amazing. And, and it is, you know, it is our way to live at the same time. It wasn't intended to work through your trauma. It wasn't intended to help you process those things. And so that's not to say that it's imperfect. It's just where you, I don't think you can necessarily use it to help somebody who has experienced some serious trauma in the past. And that's what we're here for. And sometimes Christian counselors, they can struggle with that. So just if you are struggling with things like that, um, ask them what modalities, treatment modalities they use for trauma and see, is it EMDR or brain spotting or, you know, reparenting or just salt or, you know, there's all sorts of stuff, gestalt, whatever you want to say it. Um, so not to go on and on about that, but I, I would say, seek some help in your area. Um, I do life coaching as well from afar, just because I think you can still help people out of general things, but for trauma work, psychologytoday.com, uh, psychologytoday.com has a list and you can click on the side Christian, uh, you know, do, are they Christian? And then typically they all offer a 30 minute free consultation, or at least most of them do look for that uh, call them, challenge them. What would you do with this? How, how do you handle, or what do you think about scripture? Whatever it may be, a lot of people get scared away from therapy because they'll change my ideas. A good therapist won't. A bad therapist should be sued for that. That's not what we're here to do. Uh, we can get in trouble for doing that. Even with homosexuals, they can get in trouble with doing that with your religion, talking you out of that, pushing you out of that. Uh, sure, sure, it will happen. Some therapists might. Don't let that be a deterrent for you to not get the help that you need in your fear that they'll change you. Good therapists, specifically if you handle the consultation right and, and ask the right questions, um, they won't do that. They'll accept where you are, whether they are, whether they are of the same faith, whether they're church of Christ or whatever else or not, um, get yourself, I would say, get yourself some help. Psychology today is a great resource. All right. Good stuff, Joe. I uh, want to thank you for kind of, uh, taking the, the wheel on this episode, answering our questions, uh, getting us through these topics. Let's go ahead and get to our sermon sum up. Um, 
guess maybe it's my turn to go first. I don't know. It's been a while. So go for you it, never Jack. do. Um, yeah, you never do. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. You guys get me every now and then. Um, so I've been focused heavily lately on a concept uh, in a book I read, David Moreau's Why Men Hate Going to Church, about Jesus as the lion and the lamb. And Jesus is the lion. Jesus is the lamb. But most Christians are drawn to one Jesus or the other, one side of Jesus or the other. Uh, the modern kind of softer, gentler Christianity is very much lamb. Jesus will put an arm around you, meek and gentle, and and you know the the he's he's just there for you. But it can drift a little too far into. Jesus as your best friend, Jesus as your therapist rather than as your king, not to denigrate therapists after everything we just talked about, but <laughs> but that he's just there to kind of guide you through some things. But then you've got Jesus as the lamb, who is your king, who is the, the conquering hero, who is king of kings, lord of lords, um, you know, kind of the man's man Jesus, as uncomfortable as that makes some people who went toe-to-toe with the Pharisees, called them a brood of vipers, uh, cleansed the temple, those kinds of things. And man, so sometimes as maybe as men, we're more drawn to that Jesus, the, the kind of in-your-face Jesus. And and the people who are on the lamb Jesus look at that and they're like, oh, that, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with that. But he's both. And, and both sides, the people who are drawn to both need to balance it out with, yeah, he's the lion and, and he really is that champion that, that goes and fights for us, but he's also a lamb who laid down his life. And the lamb people who, who want to talk about Jesus as safe and doesn't, doesn't really take issue with people, is not as, as strong toward people, really got to get a more lion in, in their view of Jesus as well. And um, that concept hit me, and as I'm preaching through Jesus's march to the crucifixion uh, toward the end of his life where he is cleansing the temple and going head to head with the pharisees but also laying down his life you just can't separate the two you have to have both to really understand jesus and that thought really stuck with me that's really good good stuff that's really good, good. Stuff. i'll go next um this is not something that uh, i've preached on or anything like that it was something in personal study, I've been studying with a guy who just got baptized and we're, we're kind of just reading through the old Testament. And he just wants to develop some Bible knowledge. So just, just going through, uh, we're in Exodus now, but recently we, we were in Genesis and, you know, Genesis 37 is where the story of Joseph starts. You know, we're introduced to him as a 17 year old, his brothers hate him, all that. Um, I've always wondered because you go, that's in chapter 37. And then in Genesis 38, it's almost as if, you know, obviously Moses writing inspired by God, but it's almost as if it's a sidetrack. We get the story of Judah and Tamar in chapter 38. Uh, it's a story of, of really sexual promiscuity. Judah, um, you know, uh, takes Tamar, thinks that um, she's a uh, she's a prostitute. She's a harlot. And so, again, it's really a story of sexual promiscuity. And then chapter 39 jumps right back to Joseph. And, you know, previously, as I'm reading through it, I'm, I've always kind of wondered, you know, not to, you know, second guess the writers of the Bible, but like, why is that even in there? You know, it, it doesn't really have a lot of bearing on future, uh, the, the future narrative of the Israelites or anything like that. It's just kind of a, it's just kind of a story that's there. And then it hit me right before, you know, in, in Genesis 38, when you've got Judah and Tamar, and it's just this really kind of immoral story. What is the very next, you know, part of the narrative of Joseph in Genesis 39? It's the part where he avoids committing adultery with Potiphar's mm. wife. You know, mm. he, he is, he's Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. He has the perfect opportunity to engage in sexual promiscuity. And unlike his brother in the previous chapter, Joseph runs from it. Joseph has the perfect chance, but he avoids it. He abstains from it. And again, it, it kind of hit me and, and I'm not necessarily saying, you know, that's definitely why it's in there, but it kind of hit me. It's like, wow, that's, there's some parallels there with, with Joseph's brother who, he just he he does whatever he wants. He and it's Judah who engages in this. 
And it, it's the perfect setup to, by the way, here's Joseph who did not had the perfect opportunity to, but abstain from it. It never hit me before, before I had read it. So again, Maybe maybe nothing, but no, I thought it was something there, interesting. There really is a lot there. There's a book called The Art of Biblical Narrative where he does a deep dive on all the parallels, not just with 38 and 39, but 37 as well, where the brothers present Joseph is dead. There's things like that that come into where Tamar is presenting um, to to Judah. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot there. You're really onto something. Hmm. Um, it's, it's really good material. I, I well, think there you go. How about insight. that? Uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice word. Will needs to write his own book. It's pretty good. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll wrap up here. Uh, so I've been doing for the 46th week in a row, it seems like, um, what we were created for and, uh, wrapped up with, I'm actually not going to do this one today. I wrapped up with, obviously we were created for, or created with certain things in mind. God created us, um, for dominion. He created us for, um, of course, now I'm blanking on it, but, you know, we get into or for reproduction, uh, going out and, and be fruitful, multiply. And I connect with Great Commission and and then relationship with God and relationship with each other. And part two is this relationship. We were created with hierarchy in mind um, and created with unity in mind. Divorce wasn't intended from the beginning. Jesus talks about this and the hierarchy. Adam was above Eve. But something else I've been looking at recently is just in Philippians. We often hear the joy of Christian life. Right. And it's easy to, to live moment to moment or live weekend to weekend seeking cheap happiness uh, that doesn't last for very long. And so how do we get this joy? And joy is a key word. It, the joyful epistle is Philippians. Uh, some people think it's Paul saying, you're sucking the joy out of my ministry. And I, I personally look, look at it as Paul's just saying, man, you're not experiencing the joy you should. I have joy in you. I have joy. You know, you ought to have joy in these different things. And so how do we experience biblical joy? that is intended to stay. And um, so I had four points uh, that, that I'm thinking of first is rejoice in the work of God being done. Paul talks about even in chapter one, even those who are preaching it from selfishness, right? Those who are preaching Christ. So as to kind of shame or to hurt Paul, he says, Hey, Christ is proclaimed. We need to rejoice in that. And, and he says that in 19 and then in verse 21, he says twice rejoice in the Lord. Always again, I will say rejoice. Um <clears throat> rejoice in the work of God being done in your life and in, in the lives of others. Recognize when God is working in people's lives, when the gospel is being spread, rejoice in that. Second, be unified um, and excited about your church family. There's a lot of unity discussion. Yodi and Syntyche in chapter four are clearly feuding in the book. And Paul talks a lot about this idea of unity being important um, and, and how he views right before he gets into or mentions Yodi and Syntyche in four verse one, he calls the Philippian brethren, his joy and his crown. And he says, my beloved, I think twice in that verse, um, he clearly thought very highly of his church family and, and Philippi of his, uh, Christian kids, so to speak, and loved them quite a bit and found joy in them, found joy in their service to God. So be excited about your church family, uh, and, and the joy that's there. Third is be selfless. He gives five examples in the book himself, Christ in chapter two, one of the greatest chapters, in my opinion, on Christ in, in the Bible. Um, Timothy and Epaphroditus in chapter three, and he comes back around to himself again is the fifth one of, Hey, I have all the reason to boast and I don't be selfless with it. Recognize that, um, it's, it's not about us. It is about, um, other people. It's, it's about the Christians. It's, it's Yodi and Syntyche, put your feud aside and recognize you need to be selfless in this and you need to push for unity. And last and finally is in that chapter four, what do you set your mind on? set your mind on the things above, right? On whatever's pure, whatever's holy. As he gets into it, how do we sustain joy in life? Where does your mind go? 
where does your mind run to? Does it run to the base things of the world? Does it run to the anxieties of the world? Does it run to all that? Or does it run to prayer and run toward the holy things toward the things that are calling us to, you know, to be better? So those are a quick four point sermon there for you, but uh, something I've been looking at and I'm going to start actually sermon series on John, I think next week on who Jesus is uh, in the book of John. So we'll get into that for sermon sum up, but there you go. Sorry, that was long, but. That's good. Philippians, always, always a deep book, always interesting. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap up with that. As I said at the top, make sure to like our Facebook page, look up Think Deeper Podcast or facebook.com slash Think Deeper P-O-D, Think Deeper Pod. And uh, keep up with us there. Reach out to us if you have questions, if you have episode topics. In fact, not next week, but two weeks from now, we're going to be talking about grace and Christian assurance and salvation. Uh, again, a requested topic. And so um, we, we like talking about what you guys are interested in as well. So be sure to reach out to us and connect with us there. And we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.